who is the church? Something hit me. Why hadn't I been seeing my church as me? N not just me, but me. Not just in the story of my own. Me being accompanied by others in my story and me accompanying others in theirs. Today's Soul Food episode is from a story told on The Faith Feed, a network that celebrates the life, faith, and action in the world of those in their mid-20s, 30s, and 40s. Here comes a Soul Food story from The Faith Feed. The classical uh, public speaking mistake. Anthony, I'm sorry about this, but I forgot to go to the bathroom um, beforehand. So if at any point during this talk I talk really fast, please don't think that I'm nervous. It's just a matter of urgency. <laughs> and I'll also be finishing this talk by pretending that my phone is ringing and walking outside briefly. I'm only approaching the end of my third decade of life, but I'm old enough to know now that life in this world is incomplete. Amidst the beauty and joys of what life can be, you don't have to look far for your heart to be moved by someone's burden. And sometimes that burden's a double whammy. I belong to a few different networks of people across various backgrounds and purposes. One of these networks is a group of people who share my Samoan culture and faith tradition from that culture. Welcoming two of our newest young members last year, by chance lined up with the sad loss of their mom after a long battle of breast cancer. A tragic moment for any young person. However, on the same day that the family chose to celebrate this mother's young life with a beautiful funeral service, their house caught on fire. In the chaos of funeral preparations, an open flame had been kept alive. An accident, a powerless condition, life and death, Grief and sadness all rolled into one. With the loss of a loved one at the same week as the loss of a home. A bit of time afterwards, our group was asking what we could do as a combined action to embrace these friends whose lives had changed so dramatically. We were each connecting in our own respective ways, but could we do something to express the combined solidarity of this network we'd so recently welcomed them into. We obviously couldn't bring their mom back, but in the spirit of do what you can and trust it, we decided on a housewarming ritual of sorts. So we went searching for the best replacements we could manage for all things lost in the fire. 
towels, plates, cutlery, microwaves, toasters. Man, by the end of it, I saw more network was looking like a good guy's franchise. It came the day for our ritual, which we did in our church, a place which was our common ground. It was also a bit of insurance that if the ideal fell flat and if we felt silly during the prior process, we were hoping that the churchy space would compensate. Anyway, we hid the gifts and started our gathering, which led to a moment with our grieving friends standing at the front. One by one, we formed the procession with our gifts, singing a mantra over and over again that I'm sure we're all familiar with. Lean on me when you're not strong and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on for it won't be long till I'm gonna need Somebody to lean on. We learned and experienced something very powerful in this process. We experienced the power that emerges in almost tangible way and well beyond words, when we bring the vulnerability and ritual together with trust. I'd go as far as calling it a God moment. No, we couldn't bring the mom back, and cutlery and crockery are all things at the end of the day, but I'm not sure that the mom they grieved could have been much closer that day. In those more than words, embraces, and tears that accompanied our house fire gifts and heartfelt mantra. It was a divine moment and connection that we couldn't have scripted. And it was a moment of the fullest meaning of what it is to belong to a community of life and faith. It spoke to me a new significance of the power of community and the power of community's rituals. Apparently, there's a whole study on ritual. Experts talk of it as providing a liminal space or an in-between space that you can't script, but which can potentially influence how you take your next steps in life. When you think about it, we do rituals in lots of ways. They might make much logical sense in themselves if someone tried to measure them. I mean, after all, how do you measure a beautiful bunch of flowers and a candlelit silence? How do you measure a bunch of people arm in arm singing happy birthday, even out of tune, but all staring sincerely at one person? How do you measure the value of deciding to sit together at a table to eat? sharing something of your day. Now, some might say it's just about eating. Sit where you want. 
but as an expression of ritual, of committing to the in-between space, something more, something unscripted, something unplanned can happen. Now let me pause at this point and name this as one of the core convictions that I've come to. You know, those core convictions that you most deeply value, of the things that you realize help shape and give meaning to life. So for me, the first core conviction is my commitment to community and its rituals that unite people. Maybe you can make some links in your own life. Maybe you use different words. But I hope you get what I mean by the core conviction of community and ritual. I want to add that I think that this was a difficult process for me. It took some twists coming to that particular core conviction. As I mentioned, my community is a network that's both cultural and faith-based. To be precise, it's the younger part of the Christian Congregational Church of Samoa. If you want to find imperfection, just scratch the surface of our community. I've wanted to use that as my reason a few times to leave it behind. But I've kept discovering that imperfection is universal, me included. And I shared with you about that moving moment with the housewarming gifts from last year. But so often my early experiences were nothing like that. In my teenage years, it felt conservative, strict, cold and stagnant, routine. And many of my peers from that time have also moved on. My parents' fidelity and passion kept me in there. They worked 40 or 50 hours a week, and then Sunday was full on for people and community. Even back then, I have to say, I respected their generosity. For them, it was always yes. Yes, we'll do it. Yes, we'll help. Yes, we'll serve. Yes, we'll be there from early morning to late night with our children. <laughs> yes, this is our faith and it's our joy. But to be completely honest with you, I struggled to find the same inspiration, the same fidelity and same passion. I went to my Sunday's class as a kid. It was a good effort <laughs> to maintain faith and culture in kids. I remember all in the same learning process. We'd have spiritual songs. We'd have Bible stories of great heroes like Abraham, Sarah, David, and the prophetess Deborah. And all at the same time, I'd be learning to speak Samoan. Clever process. But it was like it was all laid out, all predetermined. The questions only ever went as far as what happened in the story and what can we learn from it? It didn't seem like a place of conviction for growth. My questions from a young age were always quite different. Why, why must there be suffering with a loving God? Was there really a flood that could consume the whole world? 
What of the church's wretched history? What if God isn't real? As the God seemed frustrated my teenage years, this young Samoan Protestant named Walker dumped it on an unsuspecting Franciscan religious brother in high school. I'm sure that many of you guys have seen those Frangelico bottles in the bottle shop with the little monk and the brown outfit and the rope around as a belt. I discovered that they actually exist. His name was Brother Lawrence. Where did he get that name? I had no idea, and I told him so with a smart quip when I first met him. Weird name, sir. Why do I have to call you Brother Lawrence? What's that about? And when he answered, he answered kindly, which annoyed me. <laughs> so I tried another line. And bro with the weird name, what's up with the potato sack? And the rope for the belt? I had no idea where this Franciscan brother got his patience, but I wasn't going to give him the satisfaction of asking that question. But in fact, the patience and grace Brother Lawrence afforded my curiosity and frustrations was life-changing. Before long, it was him I was asking the questions that were too much for the Sunday scene. Now, was there an answer to every question? No but he was always patient, and he always gave me the time. Some lunchtimes now became a space for a young kid to feel safe to ask questions of God, of life and death, that we probably all have, but mind find a way of motivation to ask. Sometimes he'd answer, sometimes he'd send me on a search, sometimes he'd tell me a story that got me seeing the questions from other angles, and sometimes even thank me for challenging him and ask me to give him some time to be quiet with these questions. Without knowing it, Brother Lawrence gave me a platform to engage in my faith outside the Sunday routine. As a result, a faith connected to real life started to become part of my everyday from Monday through Sunday. If one of my core convictions I mentioned a moment ago is a commitment to community and its rituals, I can name another core conviction first influenced through Brother Lawrence. It's the conviction of intentionally entering life's questions. I went on to a school connected to another spiritual tradition. It was the Jesuit tradition. Loyola Senior High. With Jesuit thinking, this core conviction of entering the questions was really developed. The core of the Jesuit way is, in fact, to answer questions every day. For example, what was there to be thankful for in my day? Where did I sense the divine today? What do I need to feel alive? What do I consciously choose? I would never have imagined how a constant commitment the simple questions could guide our life. After high school, 
I saw the words of the amazing bohemian Austrian poet, Rainer Maria Rilke, who famously said to be patient towards all that is unsolved in your heart. He then said to try to actually love the questions themselves. This really spoke to me. I don't get a few other bits, he said. But his bottom line was a sense of living actively right in the heart of the questions. And in so doing, almost without noticing, we bit by bit live into the answers. I'm much more alive in that view of life as an unfolding journey, one to be embraced and discovered together. I react to some of the views, including religious ones, that seem to want to neatly wrap up all our learning and answers. That's not, for example, how I've learned about love and belonging in my life. If I think of closest friends or family or of community or of the beautiful soul who I share companionship with, each of these expressions of love unfold and continue to need energy and continue sometimes to surprise, they can't be captured. If this is the case for these treasures, then how could my faith be all answered in a hurry? Before I finish, I want to tell you just a bit more of what I was saying about my Samoan church community. Did it sound like I left and moved on? Well, I nearly did. If it wasn't for the passion and fidelity of my parents, I would have. But not the concept this time. More the tradition. And if I had changed the traditions, it would not have been because Brother Lawrence or the Jesuit spiritual family ever once pushed for that change. It would have been because being accompanied to answer the questions and live fully in the mystery really ignited me. Who knows where my next steps would have been. But in the meantime, a strange thing happened. In a quite spontaneous conversation, someone asked me who I saw my church as being. Who I saw my church as being. Who is the church? Something hit me. Why hadn't I been seeing my church as me? N not just me, but me. Not just in the story of my own. Me being accompanied by others in my story and me accompanying others in theirs. That's actually the third core conviction I've come to a commitment to accompaniment. I'm sure some directions happen in our lives that we don't organize. <clears throat> Somehow I think our task is often to consciously just live our convictions. 
and trust that other things will align. Right at a critical time of my own thinking, out of the blue, I was asked to take on a faith leadership in my, in my community that had never been held by a non-official person. It was like something had come full circle, a moment of divine clarity, that all of my pursuits outside my community were experiences to be learnt and had for my community. The opportunity to shape a different path for young people, to embrace their faith and make a difference. When I received that position, the first thing I did was I went into the place where my Samoan faith community gathers, our sacred common ground, the place where our ritual together touches beyond words. This time I was by myself, and I sat and I wept. I wept because I felt ignited and finally understood the passion I knew in my parents. Yes, my journey would be different, as would the context of my world, but the yearning to search our place in a purpose larger than only our own making that was common. How that's all proceeded would be for another sharing, where I'm skinnier and not sweating as much. <laughs> but enough to say that the core convictions I've shared with you guide and mold that leadership, especially when I lack confidence. And in fact, they empower my wider life and work. My full-time role is for a young workers' movement that is sponsored here in Western Sydney by the Diocese of Parramatta. It started in Belgium over 100 years ago to strengthen the dignity and participation of young workers. The acronym is YCW. What up? And so I use my core convictions to coordinate a group of outstanding volunteers who are all about the empowerment of young people. And so we give priority to community and ritual. Rituals as simple as intentional hospitality. And there we see a lot happen that could never be planned. As well, we do a lot of work to allow young people to articulate their questions and their searching along the journey of their lives. A lot of it is, a lot of it is messy. Sure, but then we see the moments they connect and find their next step with pride. And finally, we try not to compromise on the core conviction of genuine accompaniment of people in the details of their stories. We actually practice that accompaniment first as fellow leaders in the work, because I'm guessing like each person in this room, it's accompaniment in our stories that assures us that we each matter. That each of us, ourselves, has an identity together that's more than only ourselves. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Food. Don't forget to like and follow us on Spotify or your preferred listening platform. This podcast is produced by the Mission Enhancement Team in the Diocese of Parramatta. 
We release a new episode each week and we'd love to hear from you. So leave a comment or reach out via our contacts in the show notes. Looking forward to sharing another story with you next time on the Soul Food Podcast. Thank you.